This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 443. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by producer extraordinaire Matthew Marister. Greetings, sir. Greetings. Glad What's to be up? back from vacation. <laughs> sort of vacation. Back. You've been sort slaving of. away. <laughs> yeah, Moving good. into a new place and all. Good for you, it's brother. Exciting. It's exciting. I could new, I could use a new house. <laughs> Can't afford a new house, but I could Come use a new one. Come on over, man. Oh, you got room for me? Yeah, sure. <laughs> me and five kids and a wife? It'd be tight. It'd be tight. <laughs> <laughs> well, so today we're going to talk about Kenosha, Wisconsin. All right. Uh, it's a controversial subject for sure. It's a heated discussion. A lot of lot of stuff going on with uh, this one today, but I got a couple messages actually over the last couple of days, Matthew. Uh, most of them just personal messages to me, people wondering if we were going to talk about it. Well, here we are. We will talk about it. But first, today's episode is sponsored by our ConcealedCarry.com 2020 dry fire sale. It's the no ammo dry fire sale. People can't get ammo. I'm in the same boat, okay? So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a sucky place to be right now if you are in need of ammunition. You know, a common question that I see online is, anybody got any sources or any leads on ammo? Uh, where can I buy some bulk ammo? <laughs> uh, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, the one thing we can be doing is dry fire practice. We can do all kinds of dry fire practice. Uh, I did a dry fire practice session last night. I did one the night before. I've been doing, I've been doing a lot of dry fire since the start of COVID and quarantine season and all that. But uh, uh, right now is a great time with the cost of ammo and availability of ammo. To if you're not already stepping up your dry fire game, now's a good time to do it. So get after it now. What we're doing at ConcealedCarry.com is making it even easier to get the tools you want or need to up your dry fire practice game. So we have a fantastic sale going this week through Sunday evening, Sunday night, Sunday night at midnight is when the sale will close. It's our dry fire sale. Okay, so products, I think, from 15 to 25% off. Uh, that's pretty good savings on some of these things in particular. Uh, that's that's a great place to get started. I mean, whether you're looking at a cert pistol, a cool fire training system, uh, barrel block, Glocky trainer, Mantis X, dummy ammo, all kinds of stuff, guys. Everything that is dry fire related, it is available and on sale in our dry fire sale. In fact, I mentioned a couple products already, uh, but we have a dry fire uh, kit you can buy. Uh, the laser software, Laser X or Laser Original, LASR app. Uh, we got uh, uh, CERT pocket pistols, CERT AR bolt, uh, laser cartridges, other dummy rounds of various types. The Dry Fire Primer book by Annette Evans, a good friend of ours. 
takeoffs training cards. I mean, guys, anything you can think of that's on the concealedcarry.com site, uh, dry fire related, it is on sale. Sale is live right now. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash dry fire sale and take advantage of that. Yeah. I'm looking at the uh, the cool fire trainer. Yeah. I'm thinking of picking up another one or two. You know, I've had the Glock 19 cool fire trainer for a couple of years now. Uh, I got that one. That was my daily carry was a Glock 19 and I wanted to practice with my daily carry. And now when I want to do, do the cool fire training system, well, I've got to do it with my Glock, which is fine. I still do it periodically, <clears throat> but I'm carrying more these days, my P320s and stuff. So yeah, I'd like to get a 320 set up for sure. What what, what are you looking at? Uh, yeah, Glock 19. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll just send you mine. Do you have a Gen 4? I do. Okay. Well, we'll have to <laughs> if if I get a 321, maybe I'll I'll share the wealth with you. Yeah, I'll, I'll split <laughs> the cost on a new one and then Oh, okay. All right. I like your thinking. <laughs> I like your thinking. So uh, anyway, guys, check out the dry fire sale this week. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash dry fire sale. All right. There's coupon codes. You'll, you'll see on that page, there, there's the information for the sale. What is included in what parts of the sale? In other words, like certain products have a certain uh, percentage discount. Others have a little bit more percentage discount. It's, it's all based on, you know, some of these were, were given to you guys for dang near close to cost. Uh, we don't want to lose money on sale. So there's different coupon codes based on which, uh, which part of the sale, which products you buy. So, all right, Matthew, <clears throat> let's talk about Kenosha, Wisconsin. Let's <clears throat> do it, man. So a couple weeks back, there was an incident. A couple of uh, Kenosha police officers uh, were responding to a, domestic violence trespassing you know sort of it was a call like that right so so you had a woman who called police because you had this man jacob blake that was was there he was at her her house or apartment whatever uh and he was not supposed to be i think she even had a protective order against him okay so so standard you know sop you know uh you get a call like that police are gonna show up uh, and <clears throat> you know, Matthew, I know, uh, anyone that's been a cop before knows that some of your most, probably most dangerous calls you can respond to as a cop is something that's domestic violence related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, emotions or intentions are high in these kinds of situations. Uh, you have people that were formerly in a romantic relationship, typically, uh, children often involved and emotions just, I mean, things can get out of control very fast. Uh, and that's where we see a lot of cops being, you know, having been killed in the line of duty is responding to these type of calls. So, uh, you know, any, any time an officer, I, I hope, okay, the, the ones that are dialed in, anytime they're responding to a call like this, they're going to be on high alert uh, because it can go south pretty fast. Right. So. Uh, I mean, you've seen the video, I imagine, of the of the two cops uh, uh, trying to arrest Jacob Blake, right? Yeah, I, I didn't see the 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 first part. Um, I just saw the end where they're kind of trying to keep him from going in the car. But I, I guess there's other video of them struggling beforehand a little bit. Um, but I haven't seen I haven't seen that. I just heard of that. 
Yeah. Um, oh, there's not a whole lot to see. I don't think with the, uh, the, the beginning of the video, like <clears throat> I've not seen anything that really transpired before they're already engaged with Jacob Blake, uh, Kenosha police department. What we know is that they don't use body cams, which is unfortunate. You know, I do you remember the, the day when it was almost controversial amongst the police officers, like the idea of them want you know wearing or being forced to wear a body camera. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. I think cops embrace the idea of that body camera because they've seen that probably more often than not. It well, for, first of all, the good cops don't have anything to worry about because they're not doing anything that would get them in trouble anyway. When that when that thing's uh, you know. You know, pre-body cam. I mean, are there bad bad cops out there? Of course, there's bad cops. You know, you know of bad cops. I know of bad cops. You know, we hope that uh, those guys get uh, eliminated very quickly. Uh, My, in my experience, the cops I've known don't like bad cops and are quick to turn on them and turn their backs on them and hang them out to dry because they want them gone. We don't like bad cops amongst our ranks. but uh, I think cops were afraid they would be judged for things that would happen uh, when, when those cameras are rolling that, you know, they, I guess there was just some, some, I don't know, just some uncomfort. It, it is uncomforting, you know, thinking or knowing that every movement you make throughout the course of a shift is recorded. Right. And so, uh, uh, but now I think, like I said, once cops have seen how really these are a tool to be a third witness, another witness, seeing everything that's going on, you know, and there's certain, certainly situations where as cops you're involved in and it goes one way and you've got a suspect that says one thing, you know, well, he did this to me and he said that and blah, 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 but you don't have really hardly any other other witnesses to that or nobody heard what was said or, or saw what was done. Well, you got that body camera on and it, it becomes that, that third witness in some of these cases. So anyway, uh, what we know with Kenosha is they don't wear body cams. Uh, supposedly they're going to get them in like 2021. I wouldn't be surprised if that timeline's being moved up. But uh, uh, you know, because we here we have a situation where we don't, other than some witness statements, we don't exactly know what leads up to the moment that cops are in the involved in this altercation with Jacob Blake. So the first video. That, that came out, you know, we just basically see the cops following him around the front of the car as he's going to the driver's side door. And then he goes to the door and tries to open it and get inside there. And then he gets shot. Right. And, and supposedly witness statements say that, he, that Jacob Blake had said that he had a knife or a weapon or something and he was going to get it. Uh, I don't know whether that's been substantiated yet or not, but, uh, Either way, he ignored commands to stop. He ignored commands to show his hands. He started reaching into a vehicle. And we know that after he shot, there is, in fact, found in the driver's side uh, floorboards a knife. Whether that was already in his hand or not, or it was there and he was going to retrieve it, doesn't really matter. It's In fact, it's irrelevant. Because the, it, it all comes down to what these officers had a reasonable belief of. Right, that's the standard, and and whether a jury of their peers would also look at it and go, yeah, that's, I, they had a, I share that reasonable belief that their perception of what was taking place was that there was a threat to life, and so the, the one officer fired seven times into Jacob Jacob Blake's back. 
right? So there's still an investigation that needs to run its course. There's still some things that are unknown, but that's where we are. And that's what spools, uh, you know, or spins off this whole thing, you know, this whole unrest and these riots in the city of Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. So you know, like you mentioned, I've been I was moving right. So for the past you know week or so, I've kind of been on a, a social media or news uh, purge, if you would. And so I haven't been uh, dialed in, but I can't. You know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll check my phone, and it, it almost seems like every single thing I see is about this Kenosha thing, and it, it's either one side um, is. It's crazy how people come at, at at a situation from all different angles, and they only see their angle or, or through their lens, right? And it's either, you know, um, it wasn't justified, or it was justified, or it was justified, but he shouldn't have been there because he was too young, and he should he was violating, you know, other statutes, and so everybody's looking at it um, from their own point of view. Um, but in reality, I mean, at the end of the day, what what transpired there, um, I think it was kind of set in motion weeks and weeks, maybe months even before, because of, you know, we've been talking about this, it, it, the general rule of uh, if there's, if law enforcement isn't proactively taking steps to stop uh, lawlessness and violence, then eventually people step up to, you know, they, they kind of fill in that gap and, um, and bad things happen. And so I think like, you know, we can jump in and, and say, um, you know, the specifics about this case, but, um, I think overall my, my thought when I first saw this was, I I hope this doesn't continue. And I, and I had a suspicion that it wouldn't, you know, violence wouldn't stop until something bad happened. Like it spread out where, you know, people counter protests and and a counter revolution or whatever, um, becomes violent. And so that's what my concern is. And I hope that this doesn't continue to spiral because, um, you know, vi- violence, we can, we can talk about what's illegal and what's not, but violence is, it's never clean. You know what I mean? It's ne- mm-hmm. never cut and dry. So that's absolutely true. I mean, yeah, uh, we've talked about that before, how situations like these are, they're, they're messy. Mm-hmm. Violent situations, shootings are messy. You know, we, we, it's rare that we have instances when we talk about justified saves and our justified save episodes that are like clear cut black and white. A lot of times things are, are there's always this, this, there's always gray area in mm-hmm. situations like this. You know, we're going to talk about this in probably our next justified save episode. Uh, but uh, there was a situation just, just yesterday, I think here in the Denver area where a man was being carjacked at gunpoint. And he, he actually, he was asked for his keys and he chucked him to the ground several feet away, which created distraction for the for the carjacker. And that gave this man the opportunity to draw his gun. He didn't fire his gun. He just drew it. The, the carjacker turned around, picked up the keys, went, oh, snap. And realized that now the good guy had to drop on him and bad guy took off. You know, even a situation like that, 
that there's just there's so many different nuances to a, to the situation like that. I mean, what if the good guy had just simply handed him the keys and wished him well, like, okay, there you go, there's my car, good luck, right? You know, well, okay, maybe that maybe the carjacker would have let him let him go without any injury. Maybe he wouldn't have. Uh, so whether you're talking from a legal perspective or just a whatever reality, you know, it, it's, you, you, there's so many unknowns and there's so many, there's so much room for, for grayness in these situations in terms of the decision-making that we need to make. Uh, and and then, by the way, that's why, but for the most part, deadly, ju- you know, justified deadly force law in this country is written in such a manner that there is no black and white answer. How many times does it say that the actor, the person, right, that is in question, it how many times does it say that it's a it's based on a reasonable belief that there was an imminent threat to life or grave bodily injury, right? Mm-hmm. That be the just the basis of there being reasonable belief implies that there is no cut and dry black and white answer and so it, the same is is true and applies in this Jacob Blake shooting right now so the point of today's episode is not to even focus on Jacob Blake's shooting it's not even to make a, a judgment on what exactly happened there and what was whether it was right or wrong or whatever um, I kind of touched on that already it's really irrelevant. Uh, it, it's it's de- going to be determined by an investigation and potentially a jury that looks at it and makes the determination is there proof beyond or evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that suggests that the officer was in the wrong that or that he did not have a, an appropriate or reasonable belief that there was an imminent threat to his life or someone else's life. Right, that's the determining the the determining factor. That's what will be looked at. That's what will be ruled upon. But what we have is a society and a media that is so quick to rush to judge, and kicks off you know all of this division and hatred, and and rioting and protesting. Mm -hmm. So, all right, Jacob Blake shooting leads to this. These protests initially, I'm sure, as everything starts out with a supposed good intent, we're going to protest this. We feel like there was an injustice done, but then it turns into rioting and destruction of property. Plenty of video and, and, and photographic evidence of the destruction taking place in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in the days following the Jacob Blake shooting. Uh, you know, vehicles being destroyed businesses, storefronts, uh, all kinds of, you know, destruction to property and people getting hurt in that process too. All right. The thing we don't hear a lot about, except for the ones that, that occasionally rise to the top, uh, of the, uh, you know, as far as the media channels are concerned, there's all kinds of assaults and things taking place when these kinds of events are kicking off. All kinds of things are going on that we're not hearing about at all. Smaller, you know, uh, scuffles and fights and, and, and exchanges of words. Um, 
but uh, a few few nights, what two nights I think after Jacob Blake was sh- shot, riots in the streets. Uh, there was a public property that was defaced, and you actually had a group of citizens that came in, both from local community and from outside the community, to try to clean up some of the mm-hmm. aftermath of these these riots. And that's where we get into this Kyle uh, felt uh, written written bomb. What is it written? I'm having a uh, yeah. I don't know how to, I, I'm I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Kyle, written house. Is that what it is? Written house. Written house. Yeah. Written Kyle Rittenhouse. <clears throat> That's where we have you know enter Kyle Rittenhouse, right? Seventeen-year-old kid. He's in a police explorers program, like many departments have. They have these explorer programs, which I think are great programs. Yep. It gets youth involved in a positive way with local law enforcement. Many of them have an interest potentially in that being a career. And, and so that the, that these Explorer programs lay a foundation to kind of get them ready for, for a potential career like that, or at least for them to experience and, and make a determination that, yeah, that's a good career for me or no, it's not. And so he's, he, that's, that's Kyle Rittenhouse. He lives in Northern Illinois. We're talking this whole thing. We're talking about the greater Chicago metro area. You got Chicago that sort of just, you know, morphs into Kenosha and even, you know, you know uh, uh, Milwaukee, you know, just a little further north of that. I mean, it's there, there's it's constant uh, uh, houses and businesses from Chicago to Milwaukee for the most part. I've made that drive before. Um, and so you have Kenosha sits there between Milwaukee and Chicago. I mean, someone that lives in Northern Illinois to them, it's not a big deal to go 20 minutes away across the border and they're in Wisconsin. Right. So, so we know there were dozens and dozens of volunteers that came from all over the place into Kenosha and were helping clean up photographs of Kyle Rittenhouse scrubbing graffiti off the wall of a courthouse or some other building. Right. Mm-hmm. So then what, what happens? Well, Kyle, apparently this is the story and this is what his attorneys have, have stated. By the way, he's got some really good attorneys representing him. Uh, and, and at no cost to him that, they, 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 they there's a whole fundraiser that is instituted to help uh, pay for those uh, for his legal costs but uh, uh according to you know their statement is that somebody that Kyle knew or met in Wisconsin asked if he wanted to stay and help with sort of basically security and handed him the AR15 rifle that he ultimately used in the shooting Mm-hmm. Right. So there's been a lot of talk about how he was illegally in possession of the rifle. If that's true, depending on the state laws of Wisconsin, I don't know. I'm not super well acquainted necessarily with all of those nuances of the law, of the law. but in many states, someone that's underage that is given permission and is even in the presence of, generally speaking, of the person providing that permission to use their gun, then he may very well have been within the law to carry around that AR-15. It seems unusual for sure, you know, sure. A, a juvenile uh, running around with an AR in the streets, <laughs> but it may have technically been legal. 
I, I'm not the legal expert on this, but it may have absolutely been legal. Yeah, and and I I know some of the the talk about the legality if he was breaking the law by possessing the firearm um, or not um, goes into um, you know can you make a self defense claim if you're uh, you know committing a felony right like does that does that uh, nullify your ability to make a self defense claim I don't think it does like I said or like you said I, I'm not a legal wizard in uh, all fifty states you know, uh, self-defense law. But, um, I, I think we cover a lot of times and I would say the majority of people that listen to the podcast probably have listened to us co- cover DGUs where, uh, somebody defends themselves with a firearm, but technically maybe, um, doesn't have a permit, right? Like in, in, uh, New York, I can think of one recently where the guy didn't have a permit. He was actually arrested, um, even know he was arrested for the gun violation, but not the self-defense shooting, right? Not the, the homicide, uh, justified homicide. So um, I, I think, you know, if, if we're going to get stuck on uh, the legalities of, you know, should he uh, be able to uh, enter in as a claim of self-defense because he possibly was violating the law by uh, possessing a firearm and he's 17. Um, I, I I have a problem with that sort of because uh, I think, you know, he, he, whether you're 17 or 18 or 16 or whatever, I think you have the right to self-defense. Right. And so. Absolutely. Uh, I, so, I 100% agree with you on that. Yeah. So. Well, and, and here's the thing. And, and there's comments here on YouTube from screaming skull saloon. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and from other statements and articles and things I've read, uh, I think that Screaming Skull Saloon is uh, is generally on point here. I mean, at worst, I think the uh, possession of the AR by Kyle Rittenhouse uh, would be a, a misdemeanor offense. Mm, okay. Uh, at worst. And so, uh, assuming, again, that, that the story as it has come from his attorney's office is is, is the correct story now. There could be federal things or something. I don't know if Kyle did, in fact, bring that across state lines, but that's beside the point. All right. So now let's look, because to your point, let's look now at the use of force in in the incident, right? Now, what we don't know is some of the incidents or the circumstances leading up immediately to the first shooting. This is the one where the guy got, Shot. We got shot a couple times, but but ultimately it seemed like the fatal wound may have been to his head. Mm -hmm. Um, The guy in the red shirt who was caught earlier on camera, cell phone video, uh, screaming at the, uh, you basically had these two groups. You had the Black Lives Matter, Antifa, who knows what, that's, you know, protesting slash rioting, really rioting that night, right? And then you had a group of, a militia essentially right private citizens that were armed uh some of them wearing body armor most of them carrying ars or similar or at least pistols uh and you know so you had those two groups actually face off at one point earlier in the evening and they're basically screaming well mostly the rioters screaming at them there's a little bit of back and forth for sure but you know Again, keep in mind that the perspective of whether you agree with the militias or the militia movement 
you know, uh, in general uh, or not. Um, you know, these are private citizens that more than likely are not breaking any laws. Now, I do think there was a curfew out that night. Everyone was supposed to be in indoors by like eight o'clock, uh, unless they're on official business, uh, but is clearly not being enforced, right? And so I would say if you're not if you're going to let the rioters run rampant and not bother to enforce the curfew or arrest or charge anybody, then shouldn't be you know given militia members or members pr- protecting the community. Um, shouldn't be giving them any grief either. So, you know, they, they face off apparently near a gas station. Uh, you know, the, these guys, their viewpoint is that they're, they're protecting, defending their community, right? Because government has failed. That's where this, that's the big thing here. We're going to get a little bit political, but, but we've seen this in a number of these cities, Matthew, uh, Portland, Seattle, uh, Chicago or Kenosha, uh, Atlanta. Remember when like all the cops basically walked off the job, yeah. uh, for, for a night, uh, y- you know, and I'm not saying by the way that those cops that I'm blaming those cops for their failure, they had very good reason for, uh, rebelling against their, the leaders of their city. But, uh, uh, government has failed the people again and again and again in these, in these larger cities, with regards to these allowing, essentially allowing these riots to take place. And the crazy thing is, is uh, I, I keep seeing that many of these rioters aren't even, they're, they're not even residents of that city. So I, I think the problem is, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, was that like w- when there's a void of leadership or uh, people sense that, right? And when groups are trying to, to assert their, their will on people, um, they take that vacuum and they, 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 they you know, they, they fill it. And so I think what's happened is um, because leadership on from, you know, uh, you know, the governors or mayors or um, police chiefs have abdicated the, the, the role of setting authority and saying, look, we, we can't have this happening. Um, instead, they've really let it kind of get out of hand. And now it, it's so bad that People are saying, just like in in the riots, um, LA riots, right? Like people were defending their property, they're, they're defending their livelihood, their their business, yeah. and and their in many cases their homes in in themselves. So, it, what I don't know what um, government officials expect from the people. You're paying taxes for for services from the state. I mean, that's that's what the government's supposed to do, right? Provide emergency, uh, medical fire, stuff like that. Right. And, and so you're saying tough luck, we're, we're not going to be able to, uh, to respond to a call for help. Yeah. You, you, I mean, and then you're mad at people for, for wanting to protect themselves. So, um, I, I think it's just that it's a lack of leadership in, in, in many ways. Yeah, there, there really is. There's, there's a massive failure in leadership in a lot of these cities, especially. So again, to not, you know, we always try to stay away from political stuff on the podcast, but I think that's worth noting because I think it's relevant in the answering the question of why there, there is people out there on the streets armed to the teeth, Mm -hmm. uh, in a, in a place that they, 
probably shouldn't be. Now, I mean, because mm-hmm. honestly, if I was analyzing this whole Kyle Rittenhouse shooting, the first, and, and I know, you know, I've seen the very same comment made by many, many, many other people. Uh, the first thing you'd say analysis wise is why was he there in the first place? Why? Right. What are you doing there? You know, why are you putting yourself in that place, in that position where you know things are sketchy? You know, there's a lot of emotion and anger and frustration and and danger, you know, by because because there had already been rioting taking place the night before. Right. So, you know, there's increased risk to yourself just by being there. And of course, there's the the sub thread, if you will, of, well, why did his mom let him be there? You know, what kind of mother are you? Guess what? That's not up to us to decide, you know. Uh, and and who's to say that a kid doesn't do things? <laughs> okay. How many of you out there listening have never done something that you, that, you know, you didn't have your mom's permission to do or that right. your mom didn't know about, Right. Like we've all done that. I'm doing dumb stuff that my mom wouldn't want me to do today. You know, <laughs> I'm 44 years old. Right. So yeah, they'll say, well, she drove him up there. Well, remember earlier in the day, he was there like doing cleanup. Mm-hmm. So it could have all been from a place of this is a worthwhile thing during daylight hours. We're going to go up there and he's going to help, you know, with cleanup. And maybe they're staying with family or friends up there for the night. Maybe mom goes home and, you know, she's expecting Kyle home at a certain time and he doesn't, you know, like there's just so many things that could go awry with respect to Kyle and his relationship with his mother and his communication with his mother. Maybe she fully supported it. Who knows? Doesn't really matter um, because Kyle was in fact there. Uh, I would have discouraged that we've already been, we're already on the record on this podcast as, as of saying, Folks, don't go, don't go to these places. Just stay away, right? We we did an episode not that long ago, Matthew, where I talked about following your local news and social media groups and paying attention to <clears throat> where these various protests again, because mm-hmm. that's how they start. At least, so they are, so they say they start as protests and then they morph into these riots. Yeah, it, I, I've I've specifically, like I said, avoided parts of the Denver metro area because I heard in advance of things, certain things being planned in those areas. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and right? then, you know, it, it's the same question. Why was David Dorn, remember the police officer was shot? He was, he was there because his buddy called him and said, hey, you're a former cop. Uh, can you come and help me? defend my business because i don't want it to go up in flames right same thing kind of here like dude calls him he's his buddy hey man you're an explorer you you kind of hang out with the police you kind of understand some police stuff and you you shoot guns and things uh can you come out and help us and and good people have good intentions and they're hoping hey i'll just go out and we'll be a presence there and we won't have to shoot anybody and and you know i don't think for a minute that he went there with the idea of i'm gonna go shoot somebody i i I don't i don't think that i mean i have no way of knowing right but it doesn't seem like any indication that i think kyle showed a great deal of restraint yeah yeah right like even in the moment where he's being smashed with a skateboard and approached by a man with a gun in his hand he 
he when that man hesitated, Kyle hesitated. When the man closed in, he fired. Yeah, so I'm just using that as 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 evidence of I don't think Kyle wanted to shoot anybody. Yeah, and I think he went there with good intentions. So I mean, I think we all, um, you know, in in the in a situation like that where your buddy calls you or somebody calls you and says, "Hey, you know, um, can you come and help me defend my property?" That's a little different than like you and your buddies getting together and saying, "Hey, let's kid up and and go and." you know, confront these dudes and, and see what happens. I think there's a different mindset and I think it, it you know, it, it shows in his restraint, like you said, and, it, and, and I'm sure that that will come out in the process of, you know, uh, witness statements and things like that. But, um, I think, you know, it, if you can avoid these places, of course. Right. But when, when you're called to do something or, you know, and you make that decision, then you're entering, just, just be, be aware that, you know, you're entering into, uh, the, the probability is a little bit higher that something potentially bad could happen. Yeah. Yep. Good comments on Facebook and YouTube, both, uh, Brian here asks if we didn't have people willing to confront evil at the risk of danger, what kind of country do you think this would be? Brian, you know, we already touched on that a little bit a few minutes ago. I said it 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 answers the question, or you know the the idea that government has failed their their the people in these communities, and that answers the question of why these men and women were there armed to protect these communities, right? Okay, so I recognize that, Brian. I'm not, I, but I am also saying. If we put ourselves in these places, in these positions, we open ourselves up to being where Kyle Rittenhouse is today. We open ourselves up to this Aaron J. What was his last name? Dude in in Portland just got shot the other night and killed. Mm-hmm. Right, another another dude just you know, basically trying to be there and be a voice and a protection for his community, and gets shot by apparently an Antifa member. Right. So you're welcome to do these things, but understand the risk that you take. And it better be worth it too. It better be worth it. In most situations, people that just decide, oh, let's go downtown and let's see what we can, what good we can do after hours in the dark. um, Most of the time, it's probably not going to make much difference. Right, I mean, I guess you could say you felt you feel better about yourself. Well, I was there, you know, and 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 I, I you know, I feel I feel better that I didn't just let them run rampant. I don't know. Uh, good on you. I'll stand and I'll take action if it gets to that point. But for me, it's not to that point yet. Right, and it's one thing to protect and defend your community because I'll tell you what, if there are people marching down my streets. And causing and wreaking havoc, it'd be we'd be having a different conversation. But Den, downtown Denver is not my not my community. I don't live there. All right, it's up to I think each of us to protect and defend our own communities when government fails us. All right, maybe that's a bit of a selfish statement, I suppose. Right now, if I'm looking at a situation, I go that problem there in Denver is going to make its way eight miles to where I live, then we have a conversation about stopping it before it gets to me. 
but it's not to that point. So there's no need for me to be in downtown Denver. Have we had our own riots here? Yep. The, the, the same time frame, all this was happening in Kenosha. There was same, same sort of stuff. Uh, fires being started, windows broken in downtown Denver. Why do I need to be there? Okay. Sorry, that's not my problem. And I have a commitment to my wife and five kids to make sure that I'm here to protect and defend them. All right. Again, when we start seeing a widespread enough problem, all right, different conversation. But we're talking about pretty localized events. And we have protesters and rioters coming in from all over the place. And then we had some, I don't know how else to describe them, militia members coming in from all over the place as well. All right. I'm not saying it's illegal to do so. I'm not saying they don't have the right to do so, but we are talking about that you end up where Kyle is when you choose to participate in an event like that because you don't know how it's going to go down. You can't guarantee you're going to come home safely. You can't guarantee you're going to stay together with your group and your crowd because it's very apparent that Kyle got separated from his from his group. And he was the lone man. He was surrounded by violent thugs that wanted to do him harm. He was being chased down. This first fellow that got shot chucked a Molotov cocktail at him. Something, something burning. It was on fire. I don't care whether it was a legit Molotov cocktail or not. He was something that was very much clear to me to be a deadly threat. You chuck something at me that's burning to that's, that's, that's an imminent threat to my life or grave bodily injury. Right? Mm -hmm. So Kyle is separated. He's alone. He's cornered. They start chasing him and chucking things at him. And so the first shots are fired. I think it's pretty apparent. This is just my, this is my opinion. And again, there's investigation that's taking place and there's a lot of work that has to be, oops, excuse me, has to be done to uh, figure out what happened here and who's in the right and who's in the wrong. But to me, sure looks like self-defense to me. Yeah. I mean, and see here, here's the thing is we can look at it and say, break it down and say, Hey, is he Lee? Legally justified to do X. We don't have all the all the facts, right? Like we're not on scene getting witness statements. I guarantee you, there any business that has a a video camera of the incident, the police are going to those businesses and pulling video surveillance of the whole area. And chances are they're gonna they're gonna capture you know more more angles and things that precipitated the actual pulling of the trigger and stuff. So I, I don't doubt that you know, we're only looking at a a portion of the evidence. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, you lay it out, whether or not he was there, whether or not he should have been there or not, we put that to the side. We kind of, you know, take that as you make your personal decision on what you're willing to get involved in. Okay. He, he decides I'm going to get involved. So he goes out. Um, So we put that to the side and then we look at the incident and say, was it justified? You, you mentioned restraint. I think he did have a lot of restraint. Um, I thought that he showed a lot of restraint by, um, I, I mean, you put yourself in the, in the, in that situation. I don't think that he 
he's a young kid, right? And and I'm trying to think back to when I was 17 and you think that you can control everything and you're not going to die and all this stuff. And I think he went out there with his buddies to kind of defend this. And I think there was some video I saw that of him going around trying to help you know, saying he's got medical gear and he was going out and trying to help people with, if they needed medical attention and whatnot. And I think he he got in over his head and quickly realized I'm in the midst of stuff that is very dangerous and mm-hmm. I can't control this and I'm a, and I don't know what to do. Um, he starts to take off and uh, and once he goes down, they kind of you know, kind of like hyenas, they, they sense the weakness of him falling and they converge on him and. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't like he started shooting just randomly, random people, right? Just because somebody threw a, a flaming substance at him. I mean, he, he so uh, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have a magic ball or anything, but, uh, um, or crystal ball. But um, I, I, I personally think it's a self, legitimate self-defense shooting. Um, and, right. uh yeah. And I think it's unfortunate. It just shows kind of uh, what can happen when you get involved in a shooting, you know, like you, you think, oh, I'm justified in the shooting. So therefore nothing bad is going to happen. Well, I mean, you know, the same people that are saying, well, he was, he was a, a underage. He shouldn't have had the rifle could be the same people that say, why did you get, why did you uh, use your firearm in Costco to defend yourself? You shouldn't have been there anyways, because Costco has a no gun policy and it's enforceable by, you know, state law that makes it a misdemeanor, you know, a criminal trespassing. So, so it, we're looking at the same thing and saying, you know, w- is your right to self-defense in and of itself separate from should you be there or is there a statute that says you can't carry a firearm in this, you know, this location. So um, when we put all that aside, I think you just boil it down and say, let's look at this facts. And I would say, I, I, I'd be hard pressed to find people that would legitimately say people cracking, trying to crack your head open with a skateboard or throwing Molotov cocktails surrounding you in a, in a large group um, uh, would not justify a reasonable fear of self uh, or of death or serious bodily injury. Yeah. So, uh, all right. First dude, chuck something at him. He shoots him. Here, here's when we talk about restraint and uh, the attitude of, of a self-defender as opposed to someone that was looking for violence or looking to instigate something. After Kyle shot the first dude, he stayed. He like You see initially, he, he, he came around and looked like, I mean, number one, he started getting on the phone. All right. Now, we don't know for sure who he was calling. 911 a friend, his mom, but he stayed there and he had a med kit with him. So I even kind of, for a minute there, kind of looked like he was like a little unsure. Okay. I just shot this dude. He's hurt. He's down, down on the ground. Like looked like there was a little, should I do something? Should I step in and help? Should I check on him? Should I call this in? Right. He's hanging around initially. And then people start closing in and start saying, you know, get him, get him, you know, get uh, chase him down. So then he takes off, which I think is probably wise of him to do, right? Uh, Second dude that gets shot, smacked him in the head with a skateboard. That's a deadly weapon. Third dude had a gun. But again, he didn't fire until 
that guy started closing in on it. Like there was that moment of hesitation, right? After guy number two gets shot, which ended up being fatal in the chest, guy number three kind of stopped and hesitated like, ooh, but then decided to close in. And that's when he gets shot in the arm, of course. Uh, what I saw in in viewing the videos a number of times is that he only shot those that directly attacked him. The guy, the first, you know, the guy that actually threw the Molotov cocktail or whatever is the one that got shot. The guy that actually struck him with a skateboard is the one that got shot. The guy that approached him with a gun in hand is the one that got shot. Nobody else. He didn't spray and pray. He didn't uh, take anyone else that was closing in on him as a, as an immediate direct threat. He didn't just shoot blindly at, at at a crowd. His gunfire was incredibly restrained and even accurate. Uh, not the sign of a cold-blooded killer or, like I said, the, or somebody that was looking for an excuse to kill and murder. That's part of the problem with the charges against him, first-degree murder, uh, I, I think, you know, because there's, 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 to me, his actions and his hesitation and restraint shows lack of premeditation only firing when he felt there was no other choice but to uh yes all three of these gentlemen it appeared and i believe were trying to disarm him trying to take his ar from him that could have ended very badly for him right uh at the very least would have ended up with a a gun in in the hands of of a debt of a bad person uh you know there's been talk about the the criminal records of these individuals for right so, uh, including the dude possessing the handgun, the Glock, having a, you know, he's a felon, right? So, uh, you know, there's character assassination taking place here with regards to Kyle. Nobody's perfect, but he doesn't have the rap sheet that these other guys had, right? Uh, but there's a minimizing of the bad things that these guys have done in their past, and everything that we that we, that, we, that people can do to highlight how imperfect Kyle is, and how you know what a weirdo he is, and you know, he's a cop wannabe, and 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 you know has an unnatural uh, fascination with cops and all this stuff, right? Like it, it, none of that is breaking the law, right? It's it's all about trying to paint him in the most negative light possible. Again, a reminder that all of this, there, there's a process, there's an investigation, there are there are, are are courts, you know, that will look at these things, will hear these things, decisions we made about what the truth is. But from my perspective, I see a kid that got out of his own element and felt threatened and only used deadly force when it absolutely became critical to do so in his own defense. Let's talk real quick, Matthew, about some of the tactics that these mobs are using against sure. uh, their opposition. Sure. Okay? Basically, what we have here is left-wing versus right-wing, right? Uh, different ideologies. And uh, you have mostly Antifa uh, that's causing most of these problems. And, of course, they've been known to do this in the past. 
And one thing I want to highlight, Matthew, is the the shooting of Aaron J. Danielson in Portland uh, just a few days ago. Uh, there's a similar theme between him, you know, what happened with him and what happened with uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. And that is, these are individuals that got separated from their buddies, from their mm-hmm. pals. Yeah. This is a very, very clear and obvious tactic that Antifa is taking in these instances. We see it in Washington, D.C. as they've been confronting uh, and and even assaulting people and politicians in, in Washington, D.C. There was that whole thing with um, Rand Paul as he came mm-hmm. out from the and his wife from uh, Trump's speech, right? His uh, nomination acceptance speech, and they came out. That whole thing there was all about trying to separate them from, you know, fortunately they were well protected by those, those Capitol police. Uh, uh, I think they were Capitol or, or I don't know exactly who, what, what agency they were with. doesn't really matter. You know, they, they had them encircled and they were doing everything they could to keep it that way. And it got really close to getting out of hand. Mm-hmm. The tactic is divide and conquer, trying to separate larger groups of armed citizens, trying to protect their communities and once you get separated from the pack, anybody watched wolves hunt elk or bison? Yeah, you know how that goes down. That's the place where Kyle found himself at. Mm-hmm. So this is the number one lesson to learn from Kenosha and also Portland and also Washington, D.C. If you are involved in a situation like this, if you choose to go to a rally to some kind of militia protection mission at all costs. You must not get separated from your group. Mm-hmm. If you do, things will go badly for you. There is strength in numbers, a truth that has existed since the beginning of time. Yeah, and you you nailed that 100%. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I would also, you know, tell people when you're watching these videos, uh, another commonality or common uh, thing that I see is it takes one person to instigate violence and then others. It, it's rarely, it, you know, do they pick one person and everybody converges and starts throwing, you know, rocks and Molotov. It's one person. It's generally a peaceful, you know, gathering people screaming and stuff. The, the, the potential for violence is there and it takes one person to kind of break the bubble. And then the floodgates open because it's kind of like, well, if they're doing it, I'm going to get involved too, too as well. And that's when, you know, you, you, this is why I, I probably, if the first guy doesn't throw the Molotov cocktail at him and he starts running, um, people don't look at him, you know, uh, they just kind of let him, let him run off. Um, but once that guy kind of threw the Molotov cocktail and it started escalating it, um, everybody got emboldened. So that's another thing that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's calm. It's just common sense. If you're thinking tactically or, or violence wise group, group mentality type thing is, um, is, is strength in numbers, pack mentality, you pick out weak people, you, you push them off isolate them. And then once somebody 
burst that bubble, breaks the the line of violence, then then the floodgates come open and everybody pours in and and, and does their stuff. And so, uh, just be aware of that. Once violence starts, it's probably going to uh, escalate before it de-escalates. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I'm hesitant to go much deeper into. I've been actually doing quite a bit of studying. On, uh, uh, I've got some, I got my hands on some Antifa literature and a couple other things, just trying to educate myself and familiarize myself more on, on their strategies and their tactics and what their end game is, uh, what they're trying to achieve in a lot of these situations. And, uh, you know, there's a lot that I'm not comfortable with just putting out there in, in a public forum, uh, at, at the current time, especially, um, but so I stand by what I said and, and, and I'll summarize too, by saying, you know, I know that like there's a comment here from, I know his name's Sterling. So Sterling, I'm calling you out, uh, saying that, well, we could watch Mr. Guns and gear and all these other channels that have done all these analysis. And then they've, they've got all these other details that fill in the blanks and stuff. We've been saying allegedly this and supposedly that and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think it's probably been, it should should have been pretty clear from the beginning that a lot of that detail stuff I actually don't care that much about. Uh, I, I honestly don't care enough to follow some of those other channels and these analysis videos that have been done so closely to to know all of these details. First of all, uh, most of it I think is irrelevant to the conversation at hand. Because uh, you either are you either believe Kyle was in the right or in the wrong, okay? So uh, there's nothing more that Mr. Guns and Gear could could say or point out or have detail wise that would change my opinion. I, I to me it seems pretty clear that this is a self defense case. Uh, second of all, it's not up to us to make a determination of who was right or wrong or whether so and so is right or justified or not justified or going to be convicted or not. That's, that's not up to us to decide. Um, I, I state what I observe. Uh, I acknowledge, you know, what, what I, what I see. And again, my position is looks like self-defense. The bigger thing though, regardless of Kyle Rittenhouse, he's just the example for us to use to point at ourselves and say, what can I learn from this? What can I take from this? That's always my end game, end game with videos, with podcast episodes like this, uh, with analysis like this is I don't, again, I don't care so much about all the nitty gritty details. I care about what I or you get from this and what we learn from it. What what makes us better? What makes us more prepared for our own story that could take place that's that plays out in a similar way or that uh you know and, and that that's where i ended up in this episode here today mm-hmm. don't get separated from your herd don't get separated from your crowd from your people stay if you're going to do this if you're going to protect your communities if you're going to go march whatever it is by golly you better stay together because they are doing everything they can to split us up and then take us down. 
I, I, I've seen other videos that in the last few days too. Another one where Antifa is following three men as they're trying to, they're just simply trying to get away from the situation and they're being, they're being pushed down stuff thrown at them. They're being whacked with a bat, uh, people, you know, yelling and screaming obscenities at them. And you can just tell, they just want to get the heck out of there. Right. Three dudes. I don't know if they were part of a bigger crowd or group, but, uh, you know, even in that, it, it, it could have gone sideways really fast, uh, particularly if they got separated even even further into individuals. Uh, so my, my vote right now for me personally is I see this and I say, I got a wife and kids I got to take care of. I'm staying home. It's not to the level yet where I'm going to kid up and go out into the streets. All right. Mm-hmm. Could it get to that point? Perhaps. Right. Otherwise, the rest of you, be careful, be safe out there, stick together, make the best best call you can, but be willing and ready to accept the consequences as they as they come out. What we know based on what we're seeing from all these various incidents with the various, particularly in these metropolitan areas, we usually don't have very favorable DAs, district attorneys, and prosecutors, Right. So how are they going to paint your situation? They're always, no matter what you do, no matter how just you are in your actions, they will do everything they can to make you look like the bad guy. So be ready for that and be ready for that fight. That's all I got. I'm out. I agree. I agree, man. I agree. Um, it's all about trying to get better, trying to look at things a little bit differently. Um, not breaking it down legally, you know. Everybody on uh, uh, online has uh, has a legal degree. It seems they all have all the evidence already procured on their computer, and they're watching it, and they know everything. But you know, we know what we know. There's some things we don't know. Some things will come out. Um, but what can we look? What can we get from it to 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 be better, uh, to be safer, and to help one another? Um, and I think you know that's that's the that's the goal. And I think. Uh, I think uh, if if we look at things that way and let the facts come out as they come out, and we can we can better assess them once once we have a clear picture. Yep, awesome. Thanks for doing this episode with me today, Matthew. Yeah, thanks, man. As, as is not a surprise, you know, it's pulled out a few comments from people that disagree with us, and that's fine. Yeah, that's cool. Couldn't care less. Go do your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is our viewpoint. And uh, our story, and we're sticking to it. <laughs> Today's episode, again, sponsored and brought to you by the No Ammo Drive Fire Sale, found at concealedcarry.com forward slash drive fire sale. Go get yourself some drive fire stuff. Uh, I was using the Mantis X last night. I actually haven't been using that as much lately, and I thought, you know, it's about time I put some time in on the Mantis X. Uh, I recently started playing with the uh, the X10 for the first time. Uh, well, not really first time, but but really... I didn't have one in my hands uh, personally until just recently and was trying out the, uh, the X10 and the draw analysis. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, it, was, it was kind of fascinating to look how it, how it uh, tracks all the different, you know, the moment that my hand uh, makes contact with the gun, the moment that, that the gun comes out of the holster, how long that takes, 
the moment that it transitions to a horizontal position and how long it takes for me to get from there to an extension and the trigger being pressed. Uh, really fascinating stuff that the Mantis X10 can do. And it, of course, it's part of our dry fire sale this week. Big savings off Mantis X and other products. Again, concealedcarry.com forward slash dry fire sale. Well, we're going to let you all go and sign on out of here. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, y'all. We'll see you. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.